0: Good morning, church. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We will be in Psalm 46 today. That's page 471 in the Bibles around the room. I'm going to read, and then when I'm done, I will say, this is reading of God's word. And you will respond by saying, thanks be to God. And we respond that way because we are so thankful that God um, has revealed his character to us. Psalm 46. Psalm 46 to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is a refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and it's at its swelling, Selah. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray, church. God, you are with us always. Thank you for being our hope, our rock, our shelter. Help us to look to you when we are in need. Help us to run to you for peace when we are broken. Help us to remember your mighty work and sing your praises because it is good and you are worthy. God, you alone are our refuge and strength. We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I pray you humble us to your presence. Help us to be still, focus our minds, and open our hearts to receive your message. Be with Tyler today as he moves through your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: All right. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good morning. Awesome. So, my name's Tyler. I'm an elder or pastor in training here at the Sparks Church. Um, Right now, you're in the middle of our series through the Psalms, and we're not going through every Psalm. What we're doing is we're kind of taking a little survey of the Psalm, looking through the Psalms to see the whole story of the Bible through the um, themes of creation, the fall, uh, redemption, and restoration. So today, we're in the middle of us talking about restoration Psalms, and Truly, like we all know that we want to see restoration. Every worldview, every religion, every thought comes to us and says there's a problem with this world and it needs to be fixed. Whatever that could be, whatever mindset it is, there's always a problem and there needs to be a solution because we're not there yet. This psalm is specifically talking about today that restoration that God brings. And our culture loves this too. We love watching house renovations, car renovations. And it's not just to make those things like they were, it's to make them better. And that's the story of the Bible, that we're not going to just get what we had in Eden, which was a perfect relationship with God. We're going to have an a, a experience that we could never even fathom here on this earth. So if you guys would truly turn to page 471, and we'll look at the psalm together. I have a main point that I'm trying to have you walk away with, and that is that confidence in yourself is volatile, but confidence in Christ is victory. And I'm going to go through just two different points to go to that main point. My first point is going to be that um, confidence in God's presence among this chaos. So let's get into it. Verse one, God. All right, let's stop right there. So, if we, if we do not get this correct, if we do not come to God, the true God of the Bible, he's not get, none of this is going to be true. If we don't get this right, this, this theology right, um, A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing that about anyone is what they think about God. So when I'm talking about God today, I'm talking to you about the triune, the eternal, the incomprehensible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty The completely wise, completely just, completely good, the overflowing of all good, the same in the beginning from Genesis, God. How he describes himself in Exodus 34, he says, He's the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and forgiving the iniquities and transgressions and sin, but but will by no means clear the guilty. And he visits, visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. We do not go lightly when we come to this God. He is also the creator of all things seen and both unseen. In Psalm 115, he declares that he... Or we declare that he is the God in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Everything he does is good, but he does what he wants. We cannot force him to do anything. Isaiah 43, 6, God says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, that's the Redeemer of Israel, the Lord of hosts, and then quotes God here, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. God's looking around saying, there's no one here but me. It's just me. I'm looking up in heaven, and it's just me. There's no gods. Isaiah 43 says this, and he declares it again. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. I am, the, I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. So right now, this completely destroys other worldviews when we say that this God is the only God. This God is the only God that's been eternally existent for, forever. So eternity past is crazy thought. Eternity future is also another crazy thought. And this God will never change. It's also insane to say, just like Tozer says, that this God doesn't need anything. That need is a word specifically applied to creatures only. And just because this God wanted to, he enters into relationship with us. So he condescends, which means that he stoops down to our level and expresses himself through relationship, which he calls a covenant or a promise. So though the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, had perfection in the garden, perfect relationship with God, they disobeyed him and caused all humanity to go into a fall. Though God then still condescends with them, coming down to their level, and still expresses relationship with this fallen man. In his mercy, he chooses to have relationship with us. He does not need it. He does not need us. His actions, his glory, does not have a linchpin on what man does. And this God then says that we must keep His perfect commandments in order to keep relationship with Him, which we can summarize in the Ten Commandments, which then we can summarize further and say that that we must love this God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, our mind, and our strength. And we must love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. Now, how good do we feel about that? (laughs) So we all can say now today that we have not done this perfectly and we are all condemned before this holy God, and we do not deserve relationship with him. But the good news is, this God then condescends again in the second person of the Trinity in Jesus Christ, taking on flesh. And Jesus comes, and he lives His perfect life, living up to God's perfect law. And then, the story doesn't end well there. He's brutally murdered, but it does come in good news, because he rises again from the dead on our behalf. On the cross, Christ has taken away all of our imperfection and giving us his perfection. He's been raised for our justification, which just means us being right with him. And Jesus then ascends into the heaven, and now, presently today, he is seated in the heavenly throne room. That God then sends his Holy Spirit, the third member, member of the Trinity, to seal and apply Jesus' work To you and be his presence with you today. This whole plan has been delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. It's this God that we're looking at today. No other God is a refuge, no other God is a strength, but all this can be applied to you only by faith in Jesus. You cannot trust yourself for this. Because self-confidence is volatile, but the victory in Christ comes when your confidence is in Him. Timothy Brindle, who's a hip-hop artist, puts it this way. He says, don't trust in Christ and self. He says, no, Jesus only. Only Jesus, applying His work to your life, can actually give you this present help. All these are only applied to those who have faith in Jesus. So we'll continue on. So God, yeah, we got that sorted out. (laughs) God is our refuge and strength, our very help, our very present help in trouble. That's good news. He's our refuge. He's a place that we can hide in. He's a place that we can go for security. He's a place that we can actually feel safe. He's a place that we can go and feel vulnerable and fully known. And how scary is that to actually um, come out and say, like, I want to be known. Well, with God, you can be fully known. He is our strength. He's our reason to get out of bed in the morning. He's our reason to press on. He's the, if through the worst day, he can give us the strength to get through it. He's even on our best day the only reason why we're having a best day. He's our present help. Now, that's amazing. He's not a far-off help, a far-off God that does not care about our thoughts and feelings and emotions. He's our present help. Very close. In the Hebrew, this idea of the present help of God is he's able to be found. He's able to be attained. You see here that God is our attainable help. We can actually have this God as our help. He is our help in our trouble, in our stress in all of our anxieties, in our depression, in our despair, on our worst day when we've gotten the worst news at the worst time. Right then and there, he is our attainable help right in those moments. Verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. So... And then verse uh, three, "Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So really bad day would be like if Mount Rose was lifted up and thrown into Tahoe, right? That'd be a really bad day. Chaotic day. Everyone would be freaking out. What just happened? This verse is saying like, "Hey, it's all right. <laughs> the most chaotic thing we can think of is telling us that we should not fear that. We should not be afraid. The original singers and audience of the song would have seen this language as being the chaos of the world, the chaos of life. And we all know that life can be chaotic, whether it be just normal stuff like raising kids and going to work or tragic stuff like when, when the call comes in and it's cancer. Chaos rules the world. But in that present chaos, God is with us which is awesome. We get to our first Selah here. So there's three Salahs in, in this psalm. I don't want to speak too much on Salah because it just takes a Google search to know we don't know actually what it means. <clears throat> but we have some ideas of what it could mean. So it could mean pause and reflect, which is often what, it could, uh, what we can take it as. It also could be something liturgical or just something in the song. I like to think of it as when the bass drops. So this is when the bass drops in, this, in the psalm. It's a musical interlude. Or I think of it as the um, most awesome low and slow chugga-chugga breakdown <laughs> ever. So, But whatever it is, it's, it's supposed to be something where there's music or there's a pause for you to go back and then reflect on what's going on. So just think in my mind every time I read Selah, it's you know, chuck-a-chuck-a breakdown. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Verses four and five. There is a river whose streams make clad the city of God, the holy habitations of the most high. God is in her midst, she shall not be moved. God will give help to her when the morning dawns. So this is a, a parallel to the chaotic sea. So the seas in, in the Hebrew mind is this no direction, just waves going back and forth. It's just craziness, it's chaos. We, we don't have no direction. But here in this verse, we see this stream. So like think about the difference between a chaotic ocean, the worst tempest sea, and a stream. Uh, even just a stream language makes you go like, "Oh, yeah, it's green grass." It's a stream. It's, it's going one direction. It's a start and an end. See, the order of this is the stream that's supposed to make us go, okay, God is doing something different with this stream than the chaos of the seas. The order of the stream, the beginning and end, the d- complete directional um, movement of the stream. We see that God's direction in here is going somewhere. It's pointing somewhere particular. This verse sounds a lot like to me, if you go back and you have a chance to read Ezekiel 47, it's this whole chapter about this verse, about this um, image of a stream coming out of the temple of God, this pointed river that comes out from the worship place of God, and it ends up becoming this huge river that comes and brings restoration to a garden, and if you read it, 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 you think like, is this the Garden of Eden? Is this exactly like what we had before? Is this just a picture of restoration of the Eden? And and it, you know, it's not Eden because it's not called Eden. It it's called this garden's called the Lord is there. So here we can see that the the this stream that we're supposed to be thinking of is the day that God's people and God's um, presence comes to the desert, and we know about that, and brings restoration. So imagine the day just as a picture of when Nevada desert becomes a jungle. This is the picture we should be thinking of. Like water brings life, and this water can bring a desert into a beautiful garden. That should make us glad, thinking, hey, there's chaos out there, and that's doing nothing for us, but this stream. This stream brings order and restoration. We can see over and over again the chaos of the sea and God's people coming and leading to us having peace. In Habakkuk 2.14, it says this. This should be the end goal of this stream. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the knowledge of the Lord should be like as big as the ocean. This also should think of make you think back to the flood narrative of when the whole earth was covered in water in judgment, which is crazy to think that God once flooded this whole earth in judgment. Do you think at that point the knowledge of God was over the whole earth? You bet. This is saying that that was a decreation story, but there there will be a recreation story. We can see here that 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 knowledge of the Lord, this river comes. We see God's people bring in restoration to the ends of the earth, and this should bring us joy. All things will be made right again. Can we say that everything is not made right right now? We need restoration This river brings restoration. The knowledge of the Lord brings restoration. The end of verse 5 here says that he, that God will help her when the morning dawns. Or, like the little orphan Annie sings, the sun will come out tomorrow. It's that illustration that it's always darkest before the dawn, and for whatever reason, it's always coldest before the sun hits you even if there's light out. As sure as the sun coming out tomorrow is as sure as God to come to your aid. The darkest day will, or the darkest night will end with the sun coming. This darkened world will end with the sun coming and bring in restoration. Verse six here, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and this, earth melts. This is almost the same language if you go back and read Psalm 2, that the nations are raging against God's rule, and this kingdom's tottering, rising and falling, should make us think of world map changes. And what I mean by that is countries taking over other countries, and the map changes. So these nations are raging. The kingdoms are tottering back and forth. um, Wars are happening. Countries are getting taken over. People are being enslaved, taken out to captivity. The whole world's a mess. But God just has to speak, and it melts. See we, see, we see and know here that though global maps and kingdoms can change, though countries can rise and fall, America can come and go, Russia can come and go, any country can come and go, any kingdom can come and go, but the church because the Lord is with us, the Lord is our fortress, stays forever. It does not leave. It's crazier that you can see throughout history that uh, that more and more when governments try to stamp out the church, it just grows more. Because didn't Jesus say that the gates of hell will not prevail against her? And the whole, his earth, or the, his, him uttering his voice is... Is not a picture of him having the hot Cheeto breath, but it's saying that he, his words come out from him and change this world. His words go out and change the world. This is what we're supposed to be proclaiming. As Martin Luther said when he penned his song of this psalm, he says, one little word will fail him talking about Satan and his demons, talking about evil in this world. One little word will fail him. The gospel proclamation destroys the strongholds of Satan. Verse 7. This is the chorus of this psalm. The Lord of host is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. From here, we can see the perspective that the Lord of hosts is, is our fortress, and we can watch, and we can see the chaos of the world going around us. When the darkness of the kingdoms come against God and his people, we remember he's the Lord of hosts. And host there just means the Lord of armies. Armies can fight all day long, but they're God's armies no matter who they are. They're, they're doing God's purpose throughout the world. We know that God will bring ultimate justice, and we are safe in his fortress. We know the ending of the story. You see, my wife gets to work a part-time job, and she's a full-time mom at home. And so she's truly um, enduring all things for the sake of the elect there. And so what she's doing sometimes, like this week, she's had to watch Beauty and the Beast like 20 times. <laughs> all right? For, for the children. So my daughter's really funny when she does this. So she doesn't like the beginning because the beast is, like, super scary, right? So she gets out her book of The Beauty and the Beast, and she looks at it, and she knows it's going to get better. She looks at the story, observes this, this chaos of this beast going wild, but she reads the book knowing he changes. It gets better, and we should do the same as Christians today. No matter what we're observing in the world, no matter what we see, we read the book and we win. We read the book and the church does not go away. We read the book and Christ is winning and he's victorious. It's also, this could be a super macho song if we wanted to sing it that way. But it's crazy. It's not supposed to be. So let's go back up to the um, beginning um, Kind of like the prelude to the song, it says, The choir master, the son of Korah, according to Alamoth, a psalm, or a song. So Alamoth, which I find super, super interesting here, that's not a macho psalm because we know that that word means a little girl, young girl, young ladies, young virgins is what it means. This psalm is supposed to be sung by a choir of young ladies, in a high-pitched voice particularly. It shows us here that the most vulnerable, the meek and tender people of the congregation, are the one that are supposed to be proclaiming the victory of Jesus. Which serves to remind us again, if the proclamation is supposed to be coming from them, aren't we all supposed to be vulnerable, meek, mild, and still proclaiming this confidence in God? Because our confidence ourself would be volatile, but confidence in Christ leads to victory. So here we'll go into my second point, that confidence in God's victory over the chaos, 8 through 10. So let's read verse 10 we could jump to real quick, um, because everyone loves that verse. It's our favorite verse. It says, uh, Be still and know that I am God. So this verse is on t-shirts, it's on the coffee mugs, it's on the calendars, all your bumper stickers, Bible covers, all your other cheesy Christian paraphernalia. (laughs) And I would bet that every daily devotional that you've ever gone through has this verse somewhere in it. Guarantee it. The problem with this verse is it could be used to be a self-reflec- self-reflection and a call for you to focus on what you're trying to do in, in the, instilling stillness in yourself. As if stillness in yourself is something attainable. Christianity is not a, a religion to where we obtain the secret knowledge, if we can empty our minds, nothing like that. No, this is simply what God can do with us. This verse can be prompted up for you to be still on your own actions and boosting your self-confidence. It's utterly neutered when it's taken out of context. This is like giving a gun to a soldier without any bullets. It's a great paperweight, but it's not going to do anything for him. So let's go up to verses 8 and 9, and let's put it in context. Let's load that gun. So come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on earth he makes war cease to the end of the earth he breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire this is a crazy picture of god violently bringing an end to war he's making pre- peace by destroying the instruments of war making desolations on his enemies and all those against his holy character And anyone that would do actions against his character. Things like idolatry, which is just putting things before God. All sexual immorality, which is any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Coveting, which is wanting stuff that is not yours. Stealing, it's then taking that stuff that's not yours. Pride, thinking that your sin is less than others. Neglecting the justice. Murder, which includes all types of hating your neighbor, which is all racism, sexism, classism, and anything else you can think of that would make you hate your neighbor. Here we see God destroying all sin and sinners. Not just because these actions are against each other, but because they are in violation of his holy and perfect law. If we look at this picture of him destroying stuff, we shouldn't really feel safe. We look at this picture and we see that apart from God's grace, we are all his enemies, and the Bible tells us so. We see here that it's not just because of strife with each other that wars happen. It's because ultimately no one has peace with God, which leads to strife with each other. And as long as we don't have peace with God, we'll never have peace with each other. Righteousness and forgiveness of sin, by grace alone, comes first when we have faith in Jesus. Then we could have peace with each other, and only then. One of the most beautiful names given to Jesus in Isaiah 6-9, they call him the Prince of Peace. Humans have war and strife with one another because they reject God's remedy for strife, the Prince of Peace. They reject Jesus. Jesus, again, who lived in tune with the God's perfect law, in perfect peace with the Father, and died the violent death that we deserve to bring us peace. Every triumph of the gospel, every converted heart, every sinner that leads to repentance leads to universal peace. Through conversion, God is cracking bows and, and breaking spears and burning the chariots with fire. Here's where we need to be honest in church today. That many of you in this room are not in Christ. You're not in the fortress. Because you, of your pride, you think that you're good enough, you haven't done anything bad enough, or you haven't done anything real bad. But you must know today that there's only desolation out there for you. Perfection is the standard. Your condition is far worse than you think. Get in the fortress. Repent and believe that Jesus was perfect for you. Your self-confidence is volatile, and it will fail you. Some of you today are, are burdened with despair, knowing the weight of perfection, and knowing damn well you're not good enough. And that might be a good thing. Now come into the fortress where he abundantly pardons, where his grace and mercy are free, and his love is unending. Come and find peace in the fortress with Christ. Colossians 3.3 3 says this, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's another picture of the fortress of God. When Christ's death has applied to you, the Father looks at you and only sees Jesus' perfection. This is a call to come inside the fortress by faith and repentance. There is only judgment out there, only desolation. Or today, come and have peace with God. Come and hide in Him. For you today who have faith in Jesus, this psalm is a reminder to continue to run to him and hide to him no matter what, him being our present help in trouble. He is right here with you, guiding you by his spirit, giving you strength to press on because of his work. Today you can be still and know that he is God, working out the peace in your life. Christian, are you trapped in sin that bogs you down? Is there junk that the devil is lording over you? Is the devil whispering in your ear things about your past, your present, your unsure future? Come to the fortress where the devil's arrows cannot touch you. Sing and proclaim this psalm. Martin Luther, when getting bad news, he would say this. Let's sing the 46th and let the devil do his worst. Come, Christian, and proclaim it. Today, have a holy confidence that Christ truly has paid it all that there is no condemnation for you, that there is no more strife, the war is over, and Jesus gets the victory. Now verse 10, let's actually see how we're going to be still. So it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This verse is less about what you're doing or what you can do, but is God proclaiming this truth over you? You are to be still, which means that you are to admit it, to realize it, to acknowledge and experience it, and enjoy it, and appreciate that He is God. This proclamation is just like if there are two kids fighting in the living room, which I don't understand how that would ever happen, having two siblings. You wake up, Dad, and he comes out and goes, comes in and says, Hey, knock it off. That's the proclamation. You just saw God destroy war, and he's coming in and being like, Hey, be still. I just did it all. This is less about you trying to quiet your heart as much as God is waking you up to the assurance of what he has just done. James Boyce says it like this In this setting, be still and know that I am God is not advice to lead to a contemplative life, however important that may be. Rather, It means rather, lay down your arms, surrender, and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. We must look at this God for victory. If he's proclaiming this, that he is God. This means that Allah is not God. This means that the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses is not God. The Jesus of Mormonism is not God. The pantheon of Hindu gods are not gods. The earth is not God. The U.S. government is not a god. Any other deity that you can imagine is not God. You are not God. There is only one king and one crown, and it's not Jesus. No God, but the God of Scripture actually exists. No one else is making peace. So come today and admit it. Realize it. Acknowledge it. Experience it enjoy it, and appreciate it, that he is God and he's getting the victory. The last verse here is the chorus again. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, this is the whole Bible here, summarized in a verse. The whole Bible is this, that God is seeking for himself a people and for that people to sing his praises because he came close to them. This message of Jesus, again, is him coming to save us and bringing the whole cosmos, the whole world, back to himself. This is a promise given to Abraham, that's Jacob's in the verse in the granddaddy, that Christ, Abraham's seed, would be a blessing to the whole world. This is also what the church is commissioned by Christ to go and do. Bless the world by bringing peace. Matthew 28, 18-20 is our marching orders. And Jesus, and it says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth, or heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then right after that, he gives a promise again that he would be with us to the end of the age. Another promise that we are supposed to look at when we read this psalm, that Christ is with us again and again again and again. So come today and hide in the fortress, because Christ is with us. And uh, let's get victory over the world. Let's pray. God, we come to you broken, come to you in despair, come to you even thinking we don't need you. But we ask today that you would accept us by the merit of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would be with us to the end of the age, and that you would get your victory. Amen.